Welcome to this week's Immorally Podcast, where America's military veterans and patriots share their stories to reinforce the values and characteristics that keep the United States the land of the free because of the brave. You can view or listen to past episodes of Immorally Podcast at tonymain.podbean.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share. We say thank you to St. Luke Church in Uptown Columbus, Georgia. A Morally Podcast is recorded at the Ranger Outreach Center, The Rock, the heart of the Ranger community and the heart of the Ranger community. And we are thankful to be partnered with Three Nails Clothing, a premium Christian activewear brand committed to helping you pursue your passion. Proceeds from the sale of Three Nails benefits Agape International Missions fight against human and sex trafficking. And with the code RANGER at checkout, you can save an additional 10% while supporting our mission to provide America's veterans hope and purpose at The Rock. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting a Morally Podcast with a gift to the Ranger Outreach Center at give.gallantfew.org backslash The Rock. And now... It is my privilege to bring on a Morley podcast, Major General Retired Greg Martin. And for this podcast, I get to call Major General Retired Martin Greg. Greg, great to have you. Well, thank you very much, Tony. Well, I, I tell you, you know, we we could do we could make this a a uh, military ceremony and run through the full bio, but but for our guests who maybe have, have not heard of you or your story, all right, I, one thing that I find extremely uh, interesting after all your years of service, commands, obtaining the rank of major general, you hold a PhD and two master's degrees from MIT, holy cow, you you've, have always throughout your career, it seems, made writing a fundamental part and learning in an organization um, part built into what you do, multiple combat deployments, including that of an engineer um, company, battalion, and brigade, the brigade during the first years of the Iraq War, 2003 to 2004. And tell me, just up front, how would you characterize your career, Greg? It was exciting, action-packed, often dangerous, full of tremendous opportunity, you know, to lead soldiers, to travel, to work in challenging assignments, um, to get the opportunity to have a lot of civilian and military education. Uh, it was a great career. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, and when I read, when I was reading, doing a little bit of research, it, as you look, obviously you must do very well to make it to general officer. That is a given. Command billets, we, we know that. But it seemed like you also took advantage of opportunities that the Army provided you, right? So here you are. How did you manage the civilian education piece and, and the betterment while also, you know, seeking those operational assignments that kept kind of the promotion train rolling? So um, priority number one as a career Army officer was always seek to serve with soldiers, always. You know, platoon leader, company commander, battalion S3XO, 
battalion command, brigade command, always try to do that. Um, and so the Army is really good about sending you to these critical troop leadership jobs. And so that was priority one. Priority two, you have a fair amount of time in between those key troop billets that are kind of open, and you have a vote in what you get to do. And so the Army, as an institution, offers a lot of education, um, mostly military education, but also civilian education. And every single time the military, the Army said, hey, how would you like to go to school? I always said yes. It never interfered with troop leadership, but I always said yes. So I had a lot of opportunities to go to advanced schooling, both civilian and military but never in a way that impeded or took away from my troop leadership time. No, oh, I love that. So you, you had an opportunity, you took advantage of it. And then now you're a two-star general. You're, you're nearing um, what will eventually be, you know, the twilight of your career. And you find yourself, shockingly, at the National Defense University, right? So, it's, it's a, you know, you read your bio and how, how important that, that civilian learning continuing education and you are now in charge of the National Defense University. So tell us about your time and your experience there. Well, NDU, or National Defense University, it's located in Washington, D.C. It consists of five distinct colleges and a major research arm that does research on national security. Uh, you work for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, so... It's, uh, it's, it, it's really the premier um, institution in the Department of Defense for senior advanced education. And it, it educates not only military, senior military officers, uh, it also uh, educates very senior NCOs and State Department, CIA, Homeland Security, and other high-level civilian uh, agencies and leaders. And so while you're there, all right, the, the, almost a, a decade worth of um, turmoil, distress coming from your, your, your combat deployments finally came to a head. And this is something that you have shared with empathy, compassion, all the words that made you a great Army leader. You, you have gone and you have told this story. So. Once again, if, if for our listeners who, who might be new to the Greg Martin story, if you could talk about how your career ultimately, your Army career ultimately ended at, as head of NDU. So July 2014, I get a summons to report to my boss, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Martin Dempsey, office in the Pentagon, uh, got a message, report to the chairman uh, Monday morning. 10 o'clock, your wife is invited, uh, but they can't make her come. And, uh, and that was it. And so I was in a state of full blown mania. You know, I had grandiosity, religiosity. I was really in a state of insanity and madness. And I had been really bad for a couple of months, very erratic, over the top behavior. Um, and so the chairman had done a series of um, investigations and assessments about me. And when I came into to his office, I thought he maybe is going to promote me. 
I thought maybe he's going to extend me in command. And I said, maybe there's just a little chance he's going to fire me. And of course, I walk into his office and who do I see but the lawyer? I'm like, oh, this is not going to be a good day because, you know, the only reason a lawyer's there is there's something bad going to happen. And uh, General Dempsey, who's a wonderful guy, I worked for him uh, several times. He said, Greg, and he walked across the room and said, I love you like a brother. You have done an amazing job at NDU. I give you an A plus. But your time at NDU is over. You have until 5 p.m. today to submit your resignation or I will fire you. And oh, by the way, I'm ordering you to get a command-directed psychiatric evaluation at Walter Reed this week. What are your questions? And, uh, and I, I was so high with mania. I said, thank you, General Dempsey. Thank you so much. I gave him a big hug and said, you know, God put me into NDU to achieve a purpose. And now God is taking me out of NDU. And he's going to put me in a bigger, better position to even have more influence and impact. And, you know, it, that was pretty crazy to be saying at the time. But looking back to 2014, eight years ago, I mean, in a way, God really did put me in a bigger place. I mean, I've spoken to more people um, in the last year and a half about my bipolar experience, my army experience, my recovery, what I've learned from it, etc., than I ever would have if I hadn't gotten, you know, intense bipolar and been fired. Well, let's talk about that recovery. Right. I mean, that so many times we do hear of, of service members who have lingering uh, mental health issues fr from service for you specifically triggered from combat. But sometimes, right, the brain is very, very difficult um, part of the body to understand. People have been trying to do it for a long time. But for you, you're actually able to find out the why and treat it. Can you kind of talk through that process? Yes. So, as you mentioned, um, the VA and the Army Medical Board, they did their investigation on my bipolar condition, and they came to the conclusion that it was my genetic predisposition for bipolar was triggered by the stress and the thrill and the euphoria of combat in 2003 when I was a brigade commander, you know, during the attack and, you know, leading thousands of soldiers. And uh, they said that's when it happened. And um, so for the for most of the year in Iraq, I was in a high-performing mania. And the mania with the extra endorphins and dopamine enhanced my performance. I was smarter, more energetic. I had more drive. I was more creative. I didn't need sleep. Um, I felt phenomenal. I felt like Superman. Um, but once, and I was like that for most of the year in Iraq, but when we came home, back redeployed to Germany, I fell into a terrible depression. And so that was the first up-down cycle of bipolar disorder, so the mania, depression. And then over the next 10 years, my bipolar disorder got worse and worse, higher manic highs, lower depressive lows, but it was unknown, undetected, undiagnosed for 11 years. But it kept getting worse and worse. Um, I kept getting promoted, put in tougher, bigger jobs uh, because I was so confident that 
people said, man, this guy can do anything, which is what I felt like. And, um, but, but by the time I got to National Defense University that last year, I went into what they call full-blown mania, where essentially my brain was just um, pulsing with extra dopamine and endorphins. And I went into a state of, you know, as I said earlier, madness. And, you know, I was talking sometimes for hours at a time, faster and faster. I was running meetings that would go for two, three hours. Um, I would forget events and meetings that I was supposed to be at. I stopped doing paperwork and administrative work. Um, I would go into classrooms and lecture halls and just get up there and take over. I would interrupt the professor or the speaker. I would just take over and start talking about, you know, my cosmic ideas of national security, street strategy, and so forth. Um, I became extremely religious to excess. I was probably doing 20, 30 religious events per week. Um, you know, speaking in tongues, seeing hallucinations of the Holy Spirit, um, all kinds of things like that. I would go out in the evenings and go on, you know, midnight after midnight bike rides around Washington. And I would ride my bike as fast as I could through the streets of D.C. And I actually had hallucinations that I would lift up off the ground on my bicycle and I would be flying around over and through the monuments uh, i could go on it was um i went to my son's graduation i was supposed to drive family members instead at the last second i jumped on a bicycle in hot dc weather pedaled across the city went to the graduation college graduation soaked with sweat never sat down was jumping around like an ape dancing, twirling, yelling hooah, doing chest bumps with the, the other graduates the whole time. I mean, I was completely out of control. And there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of examples like this. Well, tell, tell me then the family. That is one question I did have, you know, through, through the readings. Your family has to notice something's going on. Did they just think that Pops was off as rocker a little bit, or did 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 your wife say this is just the stress of command and she just got used to it over time? Were they trying to seek you to get help and you said no? What was that dynamic like at home? Um, you actually just explained several of the factors <laughs> up to it. Here's the thing: um, you know, lots of people noticed that I was acting unusually. My behavior was weird. You know, I was kind of over the top, off the rails. But nobody knew what they were looking at or seeing. So people would say, wow, this guy's like super enthusiastic. He's extremely hua. We've never seen anybody with energy and enthusiasm like this and so much spirit. But they made no association with mental illness or bipolar disorder until I got to the end where my full-blown bipolar was completely over the top. And then at that point, people started saying, wow, there's something wrong with this guy. We think he has uh, some kind of mental illness. And people aren't good at having the uncomfortable conversation, especially with a superior. So the way my bipolar got revealed was through anonymous complaints and letters to the chairman. And the chairman started getting all this input that I was off my rocker, which I was. And he that's when he launched these investigations and assessments because he didn't want to just fire me because every time he and I engaged, he's like, wow, you know, Greg seems like the same smart, intelligent, motivated guy I've always known. 
you know, during our previous relationship over many years. And so he wasn't ready to just pull the plug on me, but it, he was concerned enough that I was hurting myself and hurting the university that he came to the conclusion that I needed to go. And he made exactly the right decision. I mean, that was a informed, caring leader who cared really deeply about me, my health, the state of my marriage, as well as the university. And so he made exactly the right call by, um, you know, getting rid of me. Um, but when you asked my wife, like, you know, what did you see? Didn't you, weren't you concerned? And she said that she was like, she actually wrote a section in my book and she said, um, I was like the proverbial frog in a pot of water that they put on top of a flame and it gets hotter little by little by little, but it's so slow. You never feel the difference until suddenly at the end, the pot is boiling over and that then the pot was boiling over at the end, about the time that, you know, I got re removed from command. Um, I had a son, a grown-up son living at home, going to college. He said pretty much the same thing. He didn't, by the time he realized it, it was too late and I was going to go. Um, and nobody that I worked with over the entire 11 years of having bipolar disorder from Iraq to NDU ever said, you know, we think you have some sort of mental illness. And the reason is that people are not trained in what these illnesses look like. I mean, I think the military is doing a lot better now than they did, you know, pre 9-11. Um, we're doing better now than when I was in. Um, we still probably have a long way to go, but they just didn't know that what they were seeing. And so tell me, Greg, then let's, let's go to, to the treatment. We, we understand that you, you hugged the chairman and you were excited to be fired. <laughs> okay. We, and we understand that's a, a result, a result of, of, of bipolar. But I, I assume there's a level of receptiveness for care. Um, you always want folks to learn from you. That's kind of been your mantra um, through, through your, through your um, three decades in service. So you find with the doctor, something that actually works to treat you. And could you just go over like that, that specific treatment and, and what it's done for you since then? Yeah, sure. Um, so General Dempsey pulled me out of command and said, go get a psyche valve. So I did. I got three separate psyche valves that month at Walter Reed. And all three of them with different doctors said, you are good to go. You're fit for duty. There's nothing wrong with you while I was acutely bipolar and, you know, in a state of madness. So what happened is I went from very high level mania. I started to spiral over the next couple of months. I spiraled down and then crashed into severe uh, depression with psychosis, which is most, was mostly paranoid delusions. Um, you know, the, the one of the reasons they misdiagnosed me was they the medical people don't do a good job of talking to the chain of command and vice versa. Like if the doctors in the chain of command had talked and shared information, I think they would have diagnosed me with bipolar on the first go around. But they don't. They don't talk to each other. Don't ask me why. That's just... Stove pipes of excellence. <laughs> yeah, it's a very poor professional practice on both ends. Um but when, by the time I had crashed into depression, I, was, I couldn't function. I, I mean, I, I was hopeless. 
I had no interest in anything. I had no energy. I could barely get out of bed. I could barely get my clothes on. I was incapable of working. And um, so the doctors, when they saw me in that state, they were able to connect some dots back to descriptions of me when I was manic. And when they did that, they said bipolar disorder. And they said bipolar type 1, which is mostly mania with some depression, as opposed to bipolar 2, which is mostly depression with some mania. So they diagnosed me. And that was in uh, November 2014. And I was very grateful to get a diagnosis because I said, man, I don't know what is wrong with me. Um, and, and depression is terrible. Um, I don't think anybody can really understand how bad it is unless you actually go through it to where you are not just mentally crippled, but you're physically crippled uh, because your brain is essentially shutting down. Um, and then it also a, f a frequent um, side effect of depression is the desire to want to die. Um, and I had what they call passive suicidal ideations, where I would, I would imagine my own death in front of my eyes, but it never transformed into active ideations where I wanted to actively take my own life. So I was very, very fortunate because the passive can morph into active just in a heartbeat. Um, so they started treating me medication, um, but nothing worked. Nothing at all worked for me. And then six months later, I was in even worse shape. And then I retired from active duty and there was no continuity of care plan. So Walter Reed didn't even make an attempt to connect me with civilian providers. And I moved up to New Hampshire, was in even worse shape, abysmal condition, barely functioning. I was in what I call bipolar hell and um, terrible, terrible condition. Um, managed, I got hospitalized once and managed to connect with a civilian psychiatrist who was probably pretty competent, but I just didn't have much trust for him and we didn't have the right fit. You have to have some confidence. And so I continued to struggle, get worse and worse, paranoid delusions, visions of being arrested. I thought people were out to get me. I'd go to jail, be beaten, tortured, murdered in prison. I had visions that this invisible force would grab me and throw me underneath an 18-wheeler truck and rip my arms and legs and head off and my bloody limbs would go flying everywhere. And finally, a army comrade who's really a great friend he never gave up on me. He never threw in the towel and said, oh, man, this guy's a basket case. Forget him. He kept working it and getting a hold of my wife and I. And he sort of steered me into a very good VA hospital up in New England um, in White River Junction, Vermont. And so I went there and I met with the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist, the first thing, they always ask you the standard questions. Are you suicidal? No. Do you want to hurt yourself? No. Do you want to hurt anybody else? No. And then he's the only one that ever asked, do you have any morbid thoughts of death or dying? And I said, yes, I do. And I told him what I just related a couple of minutes ago. And then he's the one who said, hey, those are passive ideations, very dangerous, can morph into active ones. And the next thing you know, you take your own life. He said, you need to stay with us for a while. And so I stayed uh, in the inpatient psych ward 
which was the best thing that could have happened. They had a multidisciplinary team, very professional, very uh, compassionate. And so I sp spent two weeks inpatient and they tried everything. Nothing really worked. Uh, then I spent uh, four more weeks where I lived in the dorms in the hospital and did more treatment. So I ended up six weeks straight at, at, the, at the hospital doing psychiatric stuff. Nothing worked. Um, went home. And then I started having these hallucinations that this every day uh, a boa constrictor snake would slither up out of the woods and wrap itself around me and crush the life out of me. And I couldn't do anything. I mean, all I could do was lay there on the couch all day. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. And I was just in absolutely horrible shape. And so after a couple of months of this, my wife said, we got we to gotta try something new. This ain't working. And so we made, had a meeting with my doctor and I said, need something stronger. And he said, well, the most powerful thing in the arsenal is lithium, which is a natural salt, but it's, it's sort of the most powerful mood stabilizer for bipolar. And, but there are a bunch of downsides it can hurt your liver, your kidneys. It knocks your balance off. Um, coordination. You can have hair loss. See, I used to look like Elvis before beforehand, <laughs> and uh, and you know you get tremors in your hands and stuff. And so I said, let's do it. And I said, let's go for it. So at the end of August 2016, I tried lithium, and within one week, my depression went away. Within two weeks, I felt like my old self, my old pre-bipolar self. It was miraculous. And at that point, we had we had been thinking about moving to, you know, the warm, sunny weather of Florida. And so we talked to the doctor. He said, yep, you're in stable enough. Go for it. So we moved to Florida and started, a, a, you know, a new life. We sort of rebuilt our, you know, marriage, our life, everything. And it has been wonderful. Um, I could give you kind of the, uh, in a nutshell, you know, my recovery strategy. Please do. And are we are we talking about the five P's here? Yeah. We can All right. Let's let, let, let's bring up the five P's. I love this. Okay. So it took me a while to figure out all the ins and outs of recovery. Um, you know, the first thing you need is you have to have the biochemical balance in your brain. It has to be correct. You have to be a, the the chemistry has to be balanced for you to live a healthy life. So that's number one. Uh, number two, you really uh, should get therapy, which is so important to work with a trained psychologist who can help you understand your thinking and your weaknesses and your strengths and your trigger areas that can get you in trouble. The third thing you need is healthy living. And healthy living, we all know what that is. You know, exercise, healthy diet, plenty of sleep, plenty of water, low stress. So. Those things, you know, the medical therapy and healthy living, those are necessary, but they are not sufficient for a recovery that's built to last. You have to take and anchor those elements um, on the social platform of what I call the five P's. And the five P's are people. You must develop a vibrant, exciting network of happy people. That's number one, first P. Second P is place. 
you've got to find a place to live that is safe, secure, affords you the ability to do things that you want to do, and that is a happy, energizing place. So you get people, place, then third, purpose. You must have a purpose in your life that gets you out of bed, makes you want to do stuff. It's a mission. Um, and, you know, as military people, we all were blessed with a very strong sense of purpose in our lives. And when you're out of the military, you have to come up with a purpose and mission. And like for me, my purpose is sharing my bipolar story to help stop the stigma and save lives. And so that's my purpose. I love it. I talk and write and everything. Uh, the fourth P is perseverance. And recovery is not easy. You know, mental health recovery is an ongoing, lifelong journey that you're going to have setbacks. You're going to you're going to stumble and fall, and you have to have the perseverance, the will to win, to just keep getting up, getting back in the fight, and keep moving forward. And that's military people are perfect at that because that's that's what you know, that's what our lives are like. And then the fifth P is something that I call presence. And presence is the ability to sort of get outside of your own brain, to get out of your own mind and look at it objectively and think about your own thinking. The fancy word for it is called metacognition, which is thinking about thinking. And the reason it's so important is that especially someone with mental illness, which I have, your mind can be full of things that aren't accurate and they're not true. Your own mind can deceive you. So it's, it's, it's really important to step out, observe what's really happening, what music is really playing, as opposed to just what's in your own mind, which can trick you. So those are the keys to a recovery that's built to last and you have to keep all of them going and you have to keep them in balance. Otherwise your, your, your recovery can slip and you could be, have a relapse. And I've almost had relapses a couple times and I do not want to have a relapse, which 75 to 90% of bipolar people have a relapse. And the relapse is generally worse than your original onset. And one of the really bad things is the medicines that work oftentimes don't work anymore and they have to go back through trial and error to try to get you something that works. Okay, so Greg, thank you. And I'll tell you, that was a lot of information, but the great thing is if you go to generalgregmartin.com, right, you're, you, you write, you just don't speak, you, you write. And, and so if any of this, whether it be background history, find interesting, you can go to generalgregmartin.com and, and read this, read it for yourself, kind, kind, of, kind of go over. So I want to transition from, from the bipolar, your, your recovery, um, into something you had mentioned before as a tangent. And so that is or as a segue, sorry, and, and that is religi religiosity, uh, a term that I really didn't even know until I kind of, <laughs> you forced me in doing research uh, for this podcast to learn a little bit about it. But you were grounded in your faith as a Christian prior to, unfortunately for your disorder, it kind of took it and ran, but let's just go back pre-symptoms um, uh, of disorder. 
let's go back to the War College in 2000, and, and you publish Jesus, the Strategic Leader. All right, Army War College in 2000. And, and, and you received such uh, praise as from Founding Foreign Policy, John, John Schindler, uh, then a professor of the National Security of Affairs at the Naval War College, wrote in his blog that Martin's essay is a stinker. The paper is poorly done, Schindler writes. I would have failed it. In terms of academic quality, this is crap, pure and simple. So apparently, you laying out the seven characteristics, leadership characteristics of Jesus, love and care for others, being a teacher and a mentor, being a servant leader, leading by personal example, showing self-development and care, commitment and purpose somehow missed the mark as Jesus as a strategic leader. So that being said, I absolutely loved it, of course, right? I, I finished it prior to this podcast, right? Because remember, if you only cram, if you only have an hour to cram, you only have to study for an hour. So I was able to get it. I, I mean, it, it, it resonated so much. Where did you find the courage or the want and desire for as your, your thesis at the War College to write? Jesus, the strategic leader. So I had come out of battalion command, which was a very, very intense experience. And I was just so fired up. And by the way, I had been inching upwards towards bipolar for years. And so I was probably pretty close to being manic at that point anyway. Not crazy manic, but high-performing mania very creative, very driven, tons of energy, um, very focused. And, um, you know, when you go to the War College, it's essentially the Army's graduate school for strategy for senior leaders. And we had to write a paper. We had to write a, a research paper. And so I said, okay, what do I want to achieve by writing this? I said, number one, I want to learn more about leadership because I just came out of battalion command and I'm going into brigade level command. So you know, this school was in between two levels of command. So I want to become a better leader and study leadership. And then number two, my faith was huge in my life. And I really wanted to use this opportunity to develop and enhance my faith, where as a Christian, you can't go wrong studying Jesus. I mean, because, you know, he is, you know, the king of our faith. He's the author of our faith. He's the man. And so I said, well, why not study Jesus as a leader? And, you know, it's interesting. I had always noticed going all the way back to platoon leader that the, the, the precepts and the fundamentals of being a good, strong, ethical army leader went hand in hand with being a good Christian. I mean, they were together. They were, I mean, they overlapped perfectly. I mean, love your neighbor, love your soldiers, you know, do your best, you know, do whatever you do, do it for the Lord, not for men. Um, be full of joy and enthusiasm. And, and if you're like that with your troops, it's a force multiplier. Um, be, you know, being honest, being living by the golden rule, being a good team 
player. All these characteristics of, of living a good Christian life translated exactly into living a virtuous Christian life. And I noticed that from the time I was a platoon leader all the way on. And so I said, you know, let, let me dig in here and, and read a little more carefully. And so I floated the idea because you had to get one of the full professors to be your advisor. And none of them would touch it. Nobody would touch this with a 10-foot pole. Just too much. Just a little yeah. bit of a bridge too far. It's just, it's too scary for them. And it's, um, you know, it's mixing in a way church and state. And I said, you know, you wouldn't object if it was, you know, Gandhi or George Marshall or George Washington or Martin Luther King. Everybody would be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a great topic. But you, Jesus, then they got all spooked. And um, so this guy who was a department head named Bill Barco, who was a full colonel, I, I ran it by him. And he said, that's a great topic. And he was a you know a real devout Christian. He said, that's a great topic. I'll be your advisor. And he is the guy who years later got me into the VA at, at up in Vermont. And so we became like lifelong friends and comrades. Um, and he coached me. He's a very, very smart guy. And he thinks the paper is excellent. And he would argue with anybody, you know, that guy from the Naval War College, Tom Ricks, who's a famous journalist about the military. Ricks just railed on it, how bad it was. And um, but Bill Barcos, who's a very smart guy, said it was an excellent paper. I stand by it and I'll argue with anybody. I think it's a good paper. I think it's good um, and it's solid and it's sound. And the proof in the pudding is. Um, I got invited to speak at, you know, probably half a dozen uh, retreats um, and I, where I presented the essence of that paper uh, over weekend retreats. So a lot of people thought it was good. And then somehow it got it got loosed across um, the military. And I mean, this thing was read by thousands of officers and NCOs. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, and it became like just the rage. And people, you know, would ask me like, "Okay, you wrote the paper. What do you do with it?" I said, "Well, take it and then develop your command or your leadership philosophy from this thing. You know, write a philosophy that's a few lines or a paragraph. You know, no more than a page, certainly, and and embed." the key elements of this thing. Think about it, you know, pray about it. Let God reveal to you how, what kind of leader he wants you to be. And I mean, tons and tons of people took that paper and built their leadership philosophies, you know, from 2000 on. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's still ricocheting around the internet. Um, but I wrote a really good uh, brigade commander's philosophy and then all the battalion commanders took it and then all the company commanders took it and everybody took it and so i think it it elevated and upped our game because everybody had a was really thinking clearly about what kind of leader they want to be what the troops need they put it down on, on a small short little paper that everybody could read and understand and then you know we went to war and the brigade did phenomenally well i mean we were really recognized as probably the the biggest most capable engineer brigade like in the history of the army um so 
you know, it, you know, I, I'm glad I did it. It's, I think it's pretty good. Um, and I stand by it. I, I just love it because it's that, that whole, you know, chicken and egg, you know, we're mission focused. Are we a character or are we a, res, a results? You know, you got to have results in combat. If you have people with character, they'll, right. get, they'll get you the results. They'll do it right. You'll be able to come home, come home with honor. So Greg, this is, we're coming to the end of our time. I love, I, I feel blessed that I'm, I'm able to know you uh, now getting, getting closer on a personable, personal level. Um, I, I love with what you're doing. I, I tell people if they want to get in contact with you, they want to read your writings. Like what, what, what do they, what do they need to do? If they want to include you kind of in their orb in the, in their sphere, as we try to work together to connect veterans and find solutions. Yeah. Um, I've got a website that's got, I think it's got all of the 20 published articles that I've published in the last year and a half. Um, and it's got most of my talks like Tony, I'll put this talk on my web. Um, and it's www.generalgregmartin.com. And Greg is G-R-E-G-G-M-A-R-T-I-N. Um, so you can find um, most of my stuff. Um, I've also got a blog site that uh, the International Bipolar Foundation has given me my own blog site on their webpage. It's called General Greg's Corner. And I put quite a bit of stuff on there in uh, International Bipolar, it's ibpf.org. And I also am a blogger for Psychology Today, which is the most widely led out, read outlet in the world for human behavior, psychology, and all that kind of stuff. So there's, I've, there's a lot out there. And I always push my stuff out on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. Um, what else can I tell you? Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me through the website. You can also send me an email direct, uh, gregmartin79 at gmail.com. And feel free. I mean, I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of, of emails and notes through the web, and I've answered every single one of them. So if you, if you want to write, continue the dialogue, feel free. Greg, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for telling your story. And thank you for being there for our veterans. We can't thank you enough for being on. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. What a great show. Thanks for everything you do. Rangers lead the way. All the way, sir. All the way. We hope you enjoyed a Morley podcast with our guest, Major General Retired Greg Martin. You can view or listen to past episodes of a Morley podcast at TonyMain.Podbean.com. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share wherever you download podcasts. Once again, thanks to St. Luke Church in Uptown Columbus, Georgia. A Morley podcast is recorded at the Ranger Outreach Center, The Rock, the heart of the Ranger community and the heart of the Ranger community. Thanks to St. Luke Church. And we are grateful to be partnered with Three Nails Clothing, a premium Christian activewear brand committed to helping you pursue your passion. Proceeds from the sale of Three Nails benefits Agape International Missions fight against human and sex trafficking. And with the code RANGER at checkout, you can save an additional 10% while supporting our mission to provide America's veterans hope and purpose at The Rock. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting a Morley podcast with a gift to the Ranger Outreach Center at give.gallantview.org backslash The Rock. And until next time, 
set the example for others to follow by leading it better than you found it.